Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You Back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren, Mr. Uh, David uh, Martino. This is supposed yes. to be bad week, so <laughs> this is the bad week. I was supposed to be calling you names. Ah, David, uh, <laughs> bad, bad dressing Martino. Yeah, there you go, David. That's a start. David Bald Martino. Well, that's that's basically <laughs> true. I can't even make it look like I have hair anymore. Oh, used to be able to angle the camera just right and. No. So you go into the hair, hairdresser and they say, "Well, what are you here for?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's like, been at least twenty years for me. So mm. at least you know, I'm I'm too lazy to shave my head though. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know, get big curlies and you can wrap it around. You know, get the big yeah. sideburns and wrap that around like they used to yeah. do in the sixties. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> Make it look like you have hair. You know. Yeah, it'd be perfect. I like it. Well, you know, anything it. anything to make you look better. That's right. That's right. Thank you. Um, we've got we've got a, a writer returning, and he's got a new book uh, coming out or come out. We'll find out. And of course, it's called Velma Gone Awry, and it's a Brooklyn Eight Ballo mystery. And it's Mr. Matt Cost. Thank you for being here, Matt. Well, thank you for having me on the premier mystery radio show in the world. <laughs> Well, of course, right? Yeah. <laughs> Who else would would we have? You know, and 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 Velma, <laughs> um, what part of her went to awry? Most of her, except her mind. Her mind knew exactly where she were was, but her body, it was floating around Brooklyn in the nineteen twenties. So was mine. <laughs> <laughs> I find this interesting because you write nineteen twenty. You're writing back in time, but you bring in kind of popular names. 
and you have your characters um, interact with them or come across them or, you know, you make it a part of the story. How, how, that's kind of interesting. How do you decide who you're going to do? Who you're going to, who you're going to have in there? You know, it sort of all started off and, you know, I realized that Brooklyn in the 1920s was one of the more fascinating places in the entire world. And for one of the big reasons for this was the legendary figures that lived in that time period. So as I came across a person that really, you know, just did it for me and said, wow, I want to learn more. I want to go down this rabbit hole and see what I can learn about them. Uh, then, you know, they became part of the book. So some became larger, some that I thought were going to be involved, you know, kind of fell off the wayside a little bit as others became more interesting. But that's the direction I took. Do you try to stick to the truth with them or kind of popular opinion of them at the time? Or, or, or do you use the kind of how people feel about them today? Um, I absolutely try and keep to who they were. I'm obviously putting them into a fictional book. So, you know, some of their actions are things that they might not have done. And the one that I'm writing that's coming out in 2024, we've got Dorothy Parker and goggles driving an automobile across uh, Gravesend in Brooklyn as, you know, gangsters chase them. So that, Probably didn't really happen to Dorothy Parker, but I try and keep her dialogue very accurate to that witty, caustic, you know, wit that she was at the time. So how, how do you, yeah, so that's kind of what you do. You kind of find out what kind of dialogue they used at the time or how they acted or interacted um, outside of their profession and then try to use that? Uh, outside of their profession, but inside of their profession as well, you know, I mean, you know, again, to use Dorothy Parker, you know, she was a writer for several different magazines, but one of her more famous things is being at the Algonquin uh, Hotel and, the, you know, the round table that she uh, was one of the primary figures of there. And you might consider that her professional persona as well. So, you know, taking things from that is really who she was, um, not just who she might be in the privacy of her home. How do you get into the mind of your historical characters? Do you have to do a lot of research into that, or is that something that's just more imagination? Um, I, I, I'd like to say that I do a lot of research because that's the correct answer to use <laughs> uh, <laughs> as a writer. So, you know, I, I try and do as much as I can, but, you know, I, I think as writers and whatnot, we all always feel like we could have done more and, you know, there's other things that we could have done or researched or I could have read one more book or one more, uh, you know, newspaper article or whatever about these people. But I, I try and get into their minds. So what, what, what is the um, idea set behind this book? Like what, what is it that you're, you're doing in this book? Is this, this is not connected to any of your other books, is it? No, no, this is, the debut of what I hope to be a new mystery series um, coming out April 12th. And it will be um, uh, set in 1923 Brooklyn. And I have a detective named Eight Ballot. Uh, I always feel that I have to explain the moniker to start it off. He was the eighth child born to Hungarian parents. He had four brothers and three sisters. 
And his mother was so certain that he was going to be a girl child that she had picked out Marguerite as a name for him, but not a male name. So when he surprised her, came out as a male, dad was off to sea. Uh, she just wrote down on the birth papers, eight, uh, to signify that he was the eighth child and meaning to change that and give him a name later, but she never did. So eight, the numeral eight, Bello, is our protagonist, who is a PI in 1923 Brooklyn. He's just out of World War One, as is much of America, and uh, trying to find his way. And into the office walks a German businessman who might have some lack of scruples to him. And he wants Eight Bello to find his flapper daughter, who is 25 years old, who has gone awry. And that sets the story off as Eight Bello and his group of friends try and track down this flapper, Velma Hartman, who has gone awry and is flitting around Brooklyn and New York City and up into Harlem and uh, just one step ahead of people, and nobody knows quite why. What, what do you think makes a really good mystery, like a mystery story like this? Um, I, You know, I, I, I think all the pieces are necessary, which would be the setting. So Brooklyn in the 1920s is a fantastic setting, but I think that you really need, you know, bright, colorful characters who are brought to life and aren't just, you know, flaccid and flat on the uh, on the pages, but, you know, become real people. And, of course, then you have to take those characters and have them follow along a plot, a storyline. And for a mystery, I think that you need a twist, you need a turn, or, you know, two or three or seven or eight or maybe ten twists in turn just to keep the reader guessing and uh, try and, you know lead it to a place that nobody expected it to be. But at, when it gets to that conclusion, everybody says, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, because Velma ended up being a man, right? Did you read the book? Because I really, you know, I think we're going some spoiler alerts here. <laughs> yeah, um, that's it. I knew it. Um, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. But um, so you you also have to put the setting in the 1920s. So you have to kind of have that a feel for that time, like the words they used, the slang they used, um, what police really did back in the 20s, because it's quite a bit different than now. Um, absolutely. And you say I had to, but I might say that I got to, and that was an entirely <laughs> enjoyable piece. Uh, yeah. You know, there's lots of different ways to research that sort of thing, but I think one of the more uh, something that's a little unique that I haven't heard of a lot of other people do is I do subscribe to newspapers.com, which archives all the newspapers from, you know, all of time, basically. Yeah. So I could read any of the newspapers from 1923 in Brooklyn and New York. I chose to read the Brooklyn Eagle, and I read that every morning for a year. So not just the stories and the articles and what movies were playing, you know, but the advertisements of what kind of hats were being sold and what an automobile costs. And so, you know, I, I found that getting into that newspaper, you know, I'd read my local newspaper, 
then I'd move over to the computer and I'd, I'd read online newspapers.com, the Brooklyn Eagle, starting January 1st, 1923 through the end of the year. You know, one day at a time, but yeah. Yeah, I do the same thing. I, I'm fascinated with how there's a lot of stories that could be written today, you know, different language, but the same sort of, um, the same sort of complaining and fights that were going on in the 20s were really the same as what they're doing now. You know, oh, absolutely. You know, they everybody, you know, I'm a history guy and people say that history goes in cycles and it absolutely does. And I I think where we are in, you know, 2023 is, you know, a 100 year cycle of 1923. You know, there's a lot of, you know, new change coming about and things happening but there's also a lot of repression and, you know, pushback on that new change. You know, again, in the second book in that series, that's one of the things that I'm going to really get deeply into is that press back and repression that's happening uh, to, you know, that flapper lifestyle, which is really what, you know, Velma Gonorai is about, is the emergence, these different groups, especially women, who said, no, I'm not staying at home anymore. You know, I'm going to go out, I'm going to enjoy life, and I'm going to do my thing, and I don't have to get married and stay at home and raise kids. And uh, but, but we're going to hit the pushback on that, just like we're hitting the pushback recently on a lot of things that have emerged in uh, 2023. Right, right. Yeah, because I live the flapper lifestyle. I, that, that's <laughs> what I heard. Things get a little crazy up there in British Columbia. Oh, a little. <laughs> crazy wild you know <laughs> swinging from the trees here i'll tell you they they stay away from me um are, do you think about how you're going to write violence and sex in this book like is it conscious to you or do you avoid it i'm trying to be careful with it but i think it's a reality of life is violence and sex and foul language and you know you can't avoid uh these things i try and be as authentic and real as i can as a matter of fact, I just, this Velma Got a Ride just got a review in Indie Tale Magazine, which is a bit of a romance, uh, mystery, suspense, sci-fi magazine. And uh, one of the things they do is they give a rating, but then they also give a tea kettle rating for steaminess. And the most you can get is five <laughs> tea kettles. And Velma got five tea kettles. And i kind of been saying to people that I know, really? I, you know, I don't think it's that steamy and everybody's going yeah it is <laughs> well i guess it depends on what you're doing uh outside of the book life are you living a flapper life uh no no i don't live too much of a flapper life up here uh in maine um new england i guess david's in new england with me as well but uh we're just trying to yep. survive the winter right now <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh it's not sunny and warm uh, you know, cloudy, no. freezing rain, and 32, but it's close to sunny and warm. <laughs> wow. God, you guys are worse off than I am. What's going on? <laughs> it's a little better here near Boston, but, you know, I find this um, a fascinating sort of idea. So you're already doing book two, but I, I'm thinking, how are you? So you kind of know ahead of time what you want to do in the next book. I wouldn't say that I typically know what I'm going to do in the next book before the last book is done. I'm currently writing three different series 
and uh, standalone as well. After completing Velma Gone Awry, which was uh, a little bit more than a year ago that I completed it as it goes on its publication route. Uh, since then, I've written two books in my other series, uh, Mainly Wicked, the fifth in my Mainly Mystery series coming out in August, and uh, Pirate Trap, the fifth book in my Clay Wolf Trap series coming out in December. And I finished the, and then, and at that point, I got back to writing the sequel to this, uh, which is going to be called City Gone Askew and will be due out in April of 2024. Well, how do you organize your series? How do you, how do you keep your continuity? Do you have a series Bible? Do you use other tools to keep track of everything or are you able to kind of keep track of everything in your head? Um, I, you know, it's a series Bible, I guess, is the closest. I wouldn't call it a Bible. I shy away from having a Bible, but, um, I do have an outline that I keep of each book. And that outline off, you know, sometimes is what I'm going to write. And sometimes it's what I have written. So at the completion of having written a book, I do have an outline that I can always refer back to. And it helps me when writing that book. But then it helps me, you know, when I need to check details for from future books to make sure that, you know, this character really does have, you know, one blue eye and one green eye. Yeah, yeah. You're you're a wolf trap. You have to be careful. Is it? You were saying that commenting on Connor O'Sullivan's. Is it as good as my wolf trap? <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? I'm not going to say a thing. He, he ever. That guy lives in Montana and goes out and rips a bear bear apart and eats it. So, no, <laughs> I can't. I'm not saying anything. He, I have to say that that's the first time I've got radio silence from you ever. Well, because, (laughs) you know, it scared me even talking to him on Zoom. I was worried. I'll tell you. No, he's a savage. Good writer. But no, I'm not not touching that. (laughs) Not touching that one. He'll come hunt me down. And my dog, too. Well, well, I'm glad that you messaged me privately and told me that mine was much better than his. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks. I appreciate that. It's time to move, you know. (laughs) Since Al's gone awry, he has to move out into the sticks. Um, Just give him my address like you do everybody else. Well, this is true. That might work. (laughs) David would probably be safe with it with all the martial arts training that he does, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. He's pretty big. I don't know. (laughs) You know, a young Arnold, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm staying away from that one. (laughs) So, listen, um, you guys in Maine are pretty – you guys are kind of pretty close, you writers up in Maine. I notice you guys really stick together, stick out for each other. What do you think it is about Maine that does that? Two months of summer and ten months of uh, winter, probably. <laughs> we have a hard time getting across the borders. But no, seriously, I, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure, but I would have to agree with you that the writing community is fantastic up here in Maine, uh, whether it be the publishing or the writers or uh, the the readers that support these writers. Uh, it's pretty fantastic, so it's been nice. Yeah, I haven't seen that kind of uh, an effort, or it's just just the way I see it. Anytime, that's how you can know main writers because it doesn't matter if they're in the same genre or not. They just all sort of 
stick up for each other, which I don't quite get the same feeling in other areas as I see in Maine. Maine is just like, uh, unless you guys are all working in the same house and all writing, just using different <laughs> names. Yeah, we're, we're all, actually you know, all Stephen King, just using pen names. <laughs> <laughs> I thought so. See, now we're going to find true. out some real dirt here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, but who do you use instead of Stephen King for your image? Um, models, male models that are uh, <laughs> pulled from agencies. So that's, you know, oh. both the images that David and uh, I have right now are probably been taken from those male model images. Yes. Must have been pretty old <laughs> models. <laughs> Models from the seventies. <laughs> it's kind of like a retro, retro models. That's you can get them cheaper that way. <laughs> exactly. How many? How how do you end a series? Like I've never done a series like this where you have characters and you're running through and stuff. How do you know when it's over, or how do you decide? I will have to be perfectly honest with you. I don't know how I end a series because I haven't yet. I have five books in my Mainly Mystery series and five in my Clay Wolf series. And I've been tentatively thinking that six is going to be the number. Um, so I guess if you were to have me back next year or the year after, Al, I would uh, be able to answer that. But I haven't figured it out yet. I'm wondering if I kill somebody or, you know... What do I, what do I do? Yeah, I always wonder about that. And and if you do kill them, like what what makes you feel it's time to kill them? Like what is it that that you just go? Well, I'm tired of this guy. I'm tired of this character. <laughs> I'm tired of whatever. And then you just go, well, that's over. I, I always wonder about um, that. Yeah, it's sort of two different things. I mean, if I were to kill the protagonist, that would be to end the series. I did just write an article for uh, a magazine. I forget which one. Um, you know, how to, to kill or not to kill, you know, every once in a while in my series, I sort of feel like, okay, you know, we got to make this real because if every, if all the good guys always walk out at the end and everybody's high-fiving and, you know, slapping hands and bumping elbows, eh, then, then there's no real stakes for the reader. They know that it's going to end up all okay. So every once in a while in a book or in a series, I say, okay, we got to kill somebody likable here. And uh, then we narrow it down, figure it out who it's going to be, and we kill them. <laughs> savage, <laughs> you know. So what do you want people to get out of your books? Like in this series here, like, is it is, is just, do you have any meaning to this book? Um, you know, it, it didn't really start out to be anything more than an appreciation of Brooklyn in the 1920s and a good tale that's going to keep you guessing and twisting. But, you know, as these things tend to get to be, you get deeper into them and you realize that, you know, there are deeper issues involved and uh, uh, some of the good people of the time might not have been all that good and some of the bad might not have been all that bad. And, you know, certainly, again, you know, into the second book that I'm writing now, I start to go deep into the entire eugenics movement, the KKK, and their associations with Nazis. So it it, it always, you know, gets a little heavier as I progress, I think. You, I guess you have to be pretty sensitive to how you write that, 
or how you how you present it these days yeah absolutely it's you know it's a delicate dance writing authentic history as you do a little more nonfiction, i guess but writing authentic fiction of a historical time period without offending today's political sensibilities that realizes how wrong some of the uh, mannerisms and actions and verbiage. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Was, and, uh, you know, you want to showcase that some of the antagonists, the bad people, the baddies, the villains, uh, did act in this manner, but you don't want to offend today's readers by doing that. So that that is a very delicate dance. Yeah, I, I frankly, I don't know how you do it. Uh, because when you write true crime, even even publishers will give me hassles if I use much of the language some of the people actually used, and they'll want to change it. And I'm thinking, well, but this is true. This is what people really were. That's what they said. So how do you how do you change what people say and consider it nonfiction? In fiction, I guess you can do that. But do you really want to make it so soft that they don't understand how bad it really was. Yeah, now it's, you know, I, I have come down in some of my historicals, you know, this one, uh, another book that I wrote, Love in a Time of Hate, set in New Orleans after Reconstru- uh, during Reconstruction, after the Civil War. And, you know, it was, it was a time of a lot of hate and a lot of anger. And uh, have realized that I have to remove is some of the offensive slang, you know, slurs. And that seems to be universally said, you can't do that, even if the person would have said it that way at that time. But at the same time, you know, it seems like you can get away with that antagonist killing another person because of the color of their skin or their gender or whatever thing offends them. Um, and that's acceptable in the books, but you know, a slur is not. So I, I guess you just have to go with the, t- the, the, the current times and, you know, follow what the trends are. Yeah, no, I know. I know. I, I just think it's, uh, I think in a way it's doing it just, you know, it's not, it's not serving the people well because things are what they are, you know, especially back then. They they were what they were. People said what they did, and you don't have to go to town with it, but people need to know. Because sometimes I still turn on, on Turner Classic Movies, and I'll see a movie from the 60s, and they, their language is crazy in how they behaved, but it's effective. It, it, it gives you a feeling of how it really was. Yeah, well, I, I hear that they are cleaning up some of these old authors' uh Agatha Christie books that are being republished are removing some language that was in them. Yeah, I don't know. See, and I'm not sure what I think about that. I guess it it is what it is. It's out of my hands. But um, I don't know. I think sometimes it's it's never appropriate to be how bad people were uh, to each other. Even today, they're still bad to each other, and it's not appropriate. But I, um, I don't know um, if taking it out of, you know, popular press items is, is really helping it any because it's still there yeah you know when i'm writing i feel like if i'm showcasing that person is being bad by doing or saying what they're good what they're saying then it should be acceptable but i found that it isn't necessarily so you know what would be more difficult even is you know a lot of people that were supposedly good people at the time were using some of that language are often cases we're using that language and you know it'd be even more difficult to show them 
as a good person using language like that. So it, it's very difficult. Yeah. 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 I have that problem writing about Dave, you know, because, <laughs> because you have a hard time, you know, except a bad person, <laughs> hard yeah. time saying anything nice about yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, he's, you know, who else goes out doing karate in a dress and saying, saying such bad language and listening to yeah. heavy metal music. It just doesn't. All at once. <laughs> what kind of a character is that? See, he's unbelievable. Yeah. It's not believable. They don't believe. <laughs> no, I've, I've not just real. on Facebook videos, be I've real. been learning some martial arts from Dave. So I've been practicing in my oh, living perfect. room and, you know, following what he's doing. and Breaking lamps? <laughs> <laughs> you think he does good on the videos. You should see the video of him in the buffet. <laughs> He can carry three plates at, at a time. That's wow. right. Yeah. And roll. Yeah. He's <laughs> an animal. <laughs> so so who, what, who do you like right now? Who are you reading yourself? Um, you know, as I get further enmeshed into writing, I find myself reading more and more books by people I know. Um, so currently I'm writing a book by uh, J.B. Manning called uh, The the Richter the Mighty, and it's sort of a, a madcap, political, absurd sort of thing, which is out of my normal genre. You know, I often read uh, mostly mystery, some historical stuff, uh, but it was kind of nice to get a little splash and do something different like that. Um, you know, on the bigger front, I do like the you know, big names of David Baldacci and Michael Patter, uh, Michael Connolly. Sorry. Never heard of him. <laughs> uh, but then I like my, you know, smaller writers, some from my uh, writing groups and some from my publishing houses, people like uh, BJ Magnani and Kevin St. Jar. You know, I can always go back and read Elmore Leonard books, uh, some of the older Carl Hyacin books. Certainly Robert Parker books, uh, genre, you know, that somebody who I think sort of shaped me. Um, and I'm not sure how many people are really doing that genre these days. Uh, the sort of hard, you know, the hard nosed PI, uh, with a lot of action and, you know, tough guy sort of things. It's, uh, branched out a lot from that. And we're getting a lot of different types of reading and, you know, and I'm enjoying some of that too. What was your favorite in uh, Old Mysteries? I, I certainly like many of the, you know, Robert Parker's The Good Wolf Manuscript and uh, things like that. Um, the Elmore Leonard's uh, were good, but if I go old for me, it would be the Hardy Boys and uh, Nancy Drew and Encyclopedia Brown because they're kind of the ones that wet my appetite for the whole genre, you know, moving forward. Right, right. They were from the 1800s. Right? <laughs> uh, geez, I think some of that, did the Hardy Boys start like in the 1920s? So, you know, we're back there with Marlowe and some of those people. <laughs> so, so what do you suggest for someone that wants to write a book? What would you tell them to do? Like someone that's writing maybe and they're sitting in their room and they don't know what to do, you know, publish or self-publish or any of this stuff going on because it's, it's a different world now. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess that's fairly open-ended. I'd started off with, you know, just write, you know. The, if you want to write a book, you have to write. And, you know, too many people 
get caught up in, you know, researching for far too long and never pulling, you know, the trigger and, you know, starting the writing process. Or you start writing and you get bogged down into look, going down those rabbit holes and uh, get away from the writing. I think uh, social media has pulled people away from writing in many instances, and it's just hard for them. I know the, the pandemic ruled in in March of 2020, and I started writing more than ever, but I knew a lot of people who were writing less. And I'm like, you're trapped at home? Why are you writing less? And it was just too much stimuli coming at them. So to block out this stimuli to write uh, is step one so that you can write a book. And then, of course, you have to edit it, you know, 450 times to make sure that it's perfect because there's nothing people like more than is to find an error in your writing and, uh, <laughs> you know, hold it up to the spotlight and have everybody, you know, laugh at you. Uh, so after you get to that point and you're ready to go to a publisher, you know, it's it's a tough, tough call out there. I've decided to go. I got published by a small publisher called Encircle Publications, and I've really enjoyed that route because I've got to know the publishers and the people that work there, and they work very closely with me, and uh, we have each other's back, and I've got to know the other authors as well. We have, you know, happy hour nights uh, used to be every Thursday night, but now a couple Wednesdays a month uh, where people get on Zoom from all over the world. And, you know, we have a cocktail and, you know, talk about writing and what's going on with just the authors at my publisher. So I would, you know, that's been a great experience for me, but much like writing is a different experience for every single person. I think publishing probably is too. And some people would rather go self-publish or uh, it's always nice to get the big publisher. But I've heard a lot of horror stories from the big publisher, you know, if they're not backing you anymore and they're ready to, you know, cut the ties at the first sign of, you know, you losing readership. And so uh, I, I like very much where I am. So to paraphrase, just write, make it as good as you can. And then follow the route that you think is best for you. For me, it was a small publisher called Encircle Publications. And you have no problem just sitting down and writing. Like, it, it doesn't matter what's going on outside your door, I guess. Uh, no, I actually write in my living room. And I've done that while my kids were growing up. I've done that. And I still do that now that they've moved out. And it's a little quieter. But there's three dogs that are often, you know, poking me in the back or barking at a delivery. I put headphones on and I sit in the corner of the living room and I play soft jazz music because there's no lyrics and things like that to distract me. And I go into my own world and uh, that that's very effective for me. Wow. I got to have a couple of TVs going and the music going and the dogs barking. And then I feel like writing. <laughs> you like your distractions. <laughs> I like the anxiety, knowing that I've, I've got things I've got to do. So I mean, and then I'm sitting and I have to write, but I have things, and it's like stress. Feels good. Did, did you did you find yourself pulling your hair out at any point? Yeah, that's why I don't have any. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that happened back in the '90s. God, you know, that's terrible. I had that picture of me from the '90s, and and 
that that woman that says, uh, "Oh, the hair's still the same." <laughs> <laughs> Man, how harsh is that? <laughs> wow, what a nice lady. Delete. <laughs> Delete block. No, not that bad. Not that bad. <laughs> so, are you doing more shows now? Are you getting out there? Are you seeing the world? Seeing people? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I am some. I've got some uh, different library gigs lined up and uh, some bookstore gigs lined up uh, with the release of Alma Gonorai coming out. Uh, one of, I guess, two of the events that I'm looking forward to most is the book launch celebration of Velma Gone Awry, which I'm mm-hmm. going to hold at my local golf course. And hopefully the weather will be good enough that we'll be outside on the deck and maybe some music playing and I'll have my friends and family come and maybe some strangers in the wild will show up and we'll have some drinks and some appetizers and, uh, you know, talk about books and uh, or, or talk about golf or talk about something else. So I'm looking forward to that one very much. And then I've got another gig coming up in a couple weeks that is a mystery-making gig uh, at a library where myself and two other authors will be on a panel and people from the audience will give us different clues like, you know, names of people and murder weapons and things like that. And with their help, we will construct a mystery uh, around that and that, that that sounds like it would be a good time. So those those are two of the top ones I'm looking forward to right now. Oh, you're like Lady Gaga. You got all these big things going on. <laughs> People always you say know. that me and Lady Gaga are like two peas in a pod. I was going to say, well, because you look a lot like her. Actually, she looks like you because you're older than her. So she she's copying you. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. She's a, a poser. Yeah. You know. That's right. Yeah, we know you're the real one. <laughs> <laughs> well, is it, 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 so those those events really help, don't they? Like, where where, where do you get out of those events? Um, you know, I, I think you certainly get promotion and publicity. You, you know, for if 20 people show up at the library, that probably means that a couple hundred people saw the promotion and publicity and uh, have considered your book at that point. They just didn't want to bother coming to see you at that particular day uh, for whatever reason, maybe. Because they've met you before. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, even bigger than that, I think, is I sit behind my desk every day writing, and I sit at a computer, and I don't get out into the real world. So I really enjoy actually going to do events, whether it be a reading or a talk or uh, mystery making panel or one and any of these other things just to interact with people and uh, talk about books and you know more importantly about my book so you know I'm the center of attention so it feels good do you do you think that uh, being out there with people and and, and having conversations do you, do you think that it that it helps you to um to, to write dialogue better kind of refills the uh the well by having conversation um i, I I'm not sure that that is the case. Certainly not writing the 1920s. I think the dialogue is no, very yeah. different than that. Well, certainly the people that go out to see him aren't going to be. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and, you know, my mainly mysteries, I, I tend to have a 
sort of a more blue collar crowd in my books than attend library events. So I'm not sure that that mm. dialogue really corresponds over. <laughs> <laughs> it's back to the sensitivity. Too much swearing. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Uh, uh, what, but it's it's good. It's a good thing to do. It's good to get out there and do that sort of stuff. I um, um I just don't do that. Um, but I don't like people. People don't like me. So <laughs> I find that hard to believe. That's it. Oh, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> they line up to call call me names. <laughs> Throw stuff at me. Well, they like to call. They like right. they call you names. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. And it's fun for a while. But. Everybody has a role to fulfill. Exactly. I understand what mine is totally. So, so what's next for you? How many are you, are you doing a year? How many books can you write in a year? Uh, I seem to be on a trend to do three a year. As I, I sort of briefly mentioned to you that you know April twelfth, which may be today is the release of Velma Gone Awry. And then in August, I will have Mainly Wicked, the fifth in my Mainly Mystery series, come out. And in December, I will have Pirate Trap, the fifth in my Clay Wolf Trap series, come out. And uh, off to the publisher already is the sequel to Velma Gone Awry, which is going to be called, unless they change it, City Gone Askew. And... Uh, I'm currently writing something new that might be a standalone, might not be. About halfway through, and I'm at that point that I don't really know what it is. Uh, <laughs> it's sort of a a modern day Robin Hood. So we'll, we'll we'll see where that goes, and hopefully it'll all come together and make sense to me before the ending. And uh, I'll be able to send that off to the publisher as well. How do you know when your book's done? Like, is there a certain point that you just, you're done, you're finished? Like, how many times do you keep going over it? Oh, for, for editing. I've sort of fallen yeah. into a routine that I do three edits myself, which I'm not sure how much good that does, because I'm not sure that I'm much of an editor, but, you know... I try and do three edits myself to clean it up, you know, like getting ready for the housekeeper. And then I have an editor that I pay to do three more edits on it. And that's all before it goes to the publisher where they will do three more edits on it. So it, it, by the time it's all done and told, there'll be nine edits on average of my books. Well, I, I know that yeah. I think it was last year or when, whenever there's one point where I was, listening to Dean Kuntz on your show and he was talking about his editing process. And I believe he was saying that he, you know, would not go on to the next page until one page was perfect. And, mm. uh, you know, so by the time his book was done, he didn't need to do any edits. And he was saying something to that effect. And, you know, I was listening to your show and I stopped and I thought about that. And then I just shook my head and said, what does Dean Kuntz know? Right. I know. He, he's barely got yeah. a book out. I mean, know? 450 million copies sold. He doesn't know yeah. anything. You know. <laughs> no, but, those, those, but he doesn't tell you. Those copies, they all, he buys Oh, them. okay. <laughs> you know, this is not, you know, people, real people out there buying it. He's all... But I guess that's just... He's all show. That goes to showcase, you know, that I think everybody's writing style is different. So that, you know, 
you'd kind of asked me before on advice, but you know, my advice is just write and don't try and copy somebody else. And, you know, there's a lot of people that read, you know, how to write a book, you know, manuals, whether it's Stephen King or Anne Lamont, it's different for everybody. And, you know, you've got to find your style and your inner voice and, you know, say what you want. And that's going to be effective for you. And if there's enough people that are as strange as you are that like what you write, then you'll do well financially. But if not, you won't. But at least you'll have written what you wanted to write. There you go. Says it all. So what do you, so where do people find you on social media and website and, um, you know, restaurants, bars? Where, where do people uh, find you? At bars, it's usually front and center. Um, <laughs> restaurants, you know, I like a darker corner. But uh, my website is www.matcost.net. Um, Facebook, I can be found under, um, you know, Matthew Cost as I can on Instagram. Those are places, you know, certainly the easiest is my website, and then you can link to everything else, including my email and phone number. I haven't gotten big enough to have to hide my phone number yet. So I occasionally get the phone calls from fans who, you know, uh, tell me how much they love my books, and that's always appreciated. And I don't, I haven't really gotten anybody that called or has emailed me to say how much they hate me. So, so far we're doing okay. Yeah. Well, let's try and get that changed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's try to get some, some action here. Okay. Let's get some people, send them, send them all hate mail. You know? <laughs> tell them, tell, find a mistake in his book and it, let it, him know. It's the two of you that I'm most concerned about out there. <laughs> <laughs> No, us. Uh, some uh, you know really country. sharp criticism signed. This is not Al Warren. <laughs> yes, that's, right. <laughs> that's right. I don't waste my time with that. But anyway, well, of course we'll have everything up for people to find you and uh, hunt you down like the animal <laughs> you are. And um, well, let's see now the new book, Velma Gone Awry. This is by award-winning author. Not just an author. He's award-winning, Mr. Matt Cost. So thank you for being here. Well, again, thank you very much for having me on the show. Your show is fantastic, and it's it's a proud moment for me to be here. Thanks, Matt. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.